the light treason news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by no one. It's me. Listen, sometimes what happens when you're an adult is you make a plan with another adult. Say, um, meet me at the studio at 10 a.m. to record and the other adult is like, yes, I will see you there. Even though it's very, very late on Friday night. And you're like, are you sure? You seem like you're not going to be able to get up and record at 10. And they're like, no, I got this. And then you get a text at 6 a.m. from that person being like, yeah, I can't make it. And you're like, I fucking knew it. Um, and that's what being an adult is and being friends with other adults. But it's okay, because now I am very practiced at hosting the show on my own. And for some weird reason, you little freaks like it. So this is your fault. I'm recording it on my own. And oh boy, do I have a lot to talk about. Here is part of the problem, though. I didn't watch the Democratic debates because I was like, you know what? I'm either going to have Eric or Meredith host this with me. But neither of them could, and I was going to pass the responsibility for getting all of the facts right about the debate to them. Um, but now I'm just going to have to fly solo on that, so advanced apologies when I inevitably get things wrong. I didn't watch the debate because I didn't want to, and I think generally those debates are dumb, and nothing gets accomplished, and people just talk about, like, one-line zingers and Biden's dentures falling out of his mouth, and it's like, who cares? Uh, we're all going to be underwater in 50 years. Um, so, you know, I don't like to cover them too, too much, but I thought it could be funny if I just give my immediate impressions by reading one of those, like, five main takeaways from the Democratic debate articles that, um, you know... We all love so much. So I'm going to get to that in a second, but we are in the pop culture section right now, which means I, I do my general announcements and I also give you recommendations for stuff I am watching and listening to right now. Guys, I have all but stopped reading and I'm a little worried about it. So I'm going to try to incorporate more reading recommendations <laughs> into the show. This is one of those goals I'm going to make that I already can feel that I'm not going to follow through on. And I'm going to get very sad when I re-listen to this, like, oh, that bitch still isn't reading, and that bitch is me. So, general announcement, I'd like to apologize to the $10 a month members and higher that the uh, I the hangout didn't happen, uh, and I got some messages from people who were like, where are you? Um, my computer died, so uh, she's back now. She's She's a healthy girl once more, but the new hangout will be tomorrow, Sunday, the 15th at 10 a.m. Yes, let's do it. Bright and early. So apologies again. Hopefully some of you can make that. You know, life is um, terrible. And sometimes we can't anticipate things happening. But this is why your support means so, so much. And why I didn't have a full-on meltdown when my computer stopped working. Because I was like, you know what? It's going to be okay. And then it was. So 
I hope you can make it. The hangouts are so, so fun. We just talk about what's going on in our lives and share photos of our pets and stuff. And it's really fun. Talk about like vegan food. Yeah, it's a good time. So I saw It Chapter 2. Okay. You guys, I got a lot of feelings about this movie. First of all, Bill Hader is a gift to the world. We don't deserve him. Blah, 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 blah. Watch Barry. Okay. Can we can we all just set that aside? Because I feel like everybody's like, that's the main thing everyone's talking about. That Bill Hader's so charming in it, so funny. And he is. The kids are great in it. The kids are in it a bunch. Although, <laughs> the, th- the problem with casting child actors at that very tricky uh, pubescent age is that they age really quickly. So they had to do these like, that creepy de-aging CGI where suddenly um, the light's very weird and no one has any lines in their face, even when they're supposed to be emoting. And they apparently also had to redub their voices because especially the boys, their their voices are all changing right now. So the flashbacks are very weird um, and not in like the weird way it should be in a horror movie, just in a sort of like everything's a little off. So... I should say I enjoyed question mark this movie uh, despite everything I'm about to say. (laughs) Like a lot of people are complaining that it's too long. I don't know if I just have a really high threshold for long films, but like people were complaining that uh, Midsommar was too long. That did not feel long to me. This felt, this definitely felt long to me and they could have cut maybe 30 minutes by cutting the unnecessary hate crime and domestic violence scenes. And listen, I knew they were in the book, uh, but they don't really have any bearing on the rest of this film. So I, I truly think they could have just cut those scenes out of the film and the film would not have been damaged. And it could have been like a, a two and a half hour film as opposed to almost three hours. Uh, Cause it's way too long. So, but again, I wasn't like, you know, pining to leave. I didn't, I didn't think about walking out. I heard some people walked out and I was just like, it's not bad. It's not a bad film. It's fine. You know what? It's fine. But let's talk about some of the bad stuff. Okay. So I already talked about uh, the hate crime and people had warned me that there's a, a very graphic hate crime at the beginning of this film, despite being warned about it. And despite the fact that I do have a very high threshold for violence in film, I could not watch it. <laughs> like I, and it's it's a tough place to start with a film where you can't watch the screen because it is very graphic. And I will attach a very stern trigger warning <laughs> to this film for the hate crime and for the domestic violence scenes because they almost happen back to back, I think, because the domestic violence scene is when we like, check in with how's stuff going with Beverly in her adult life and it turns out not good not good that cycle of violence is continuing and there is a cartoonish scene where literally (laughs) they have to fit in the entire arc of a violent relationship into what must be like a three-minute scene so it's literally like babe some of my friends from back home called and some weird stuff's happening I'm packing a bag to go home and he's like Okay, honey, I support that. Who are you fucking? And it's literally like the turn it happens that quickly. And he is beating 
the shit out of Jessica Chastain, punches her fully in the face. And again, was not prepared for it. And this film seemed to struggle a lot with tone. It would go from silly sort of campy horror to violent hate crime back to like, ah, we're kids and we're quipping with each other to horrifically violent domestic violence scene uh, back to, hey, we got quirky dynamics between us. Like it couldn't figure out what it wanted to be. And I know, again, in the book, the original television series, it walks that line between humor and horror but it seemed to not get the balance right. It would stray way too far into the violence, and then it was harder to steer back into silly sort of, uh, you know, teens on an adventure thing. Um, so there's a weird amount of fat shaming and, and racism. You know what it is? This movie feels like it was made in the 80s, and... Originally, the it storyline, the time jump was the 50s to the 80s. In this updated version, it's the 80s to now. But weirdly, all of the humor, all of the references are steeped in what feels like the 80s. Like, there are repeated uh, references to Mike's family. Mike is the only black character in the film that he comes from parents who are quote-unquote crackheads, like repeatedly referring to his parents as crackheads, which is weird because in the book, Mike comes from like the only good family. <laughs> like he comes from a very good home. His parents are really good parents. So it was a weird tweak for the movie. to. Like, it was like they were sitting around, they were like, how do we make this more racist? Uh, there's a weird fat-shaming storyline. Uh, Eddie's mom is fat when he's a little kid, and then he marries... Uh, a lady who's fat, uh, played by the same actress. Apparently not many people knew this, but the woman who plays Eddie's mom in the film also plays his wife. So that's very weird and seems like very hateful of fat people. Like, yeah, you like fat people, so you're going to marry somebody who's like your mom. Very weird. Like, couldn't just love his wife because he loves his wife. It must be some sort of weird fat fetish thing. Um... Trigger warning for suicide. <laughs> Guys, there's a lot of trigger warnings in this. One of the, spoiler alert, again, I don't think you would have listened this far if you were worried about spoilers, but one of the adults um, kills themselves, dies by suicide, excuse me, when faced with the prospect of going back to uh, the town where they all grew up. Um there's this weird and I, I honestly think that it was introduced by the writers to counterbalance the totally random hate crime that happens which I guess I should talk about because I didn't actually describe what happened but the movie opens with a gay couple who are at a carnival and they're just having a good time playing the games and they kiss and a group of teenagers sees them kiss and decides we're going to hate crime these guys. So they, they stalk them. They eventually have a confrontation with them. And they nearly beat the one uh, gay guy to death and then throw him off a bridge. And then it fishes him out of the water and ultimately uh, eats his heart. <laughs> so that all happens in the beginning of the film. Um, and I should say that apparently, I, I never read the book, but apparently this is handled way better in the book 
like the the gay man's death has a lot of impact, a lot of meaning in the story. And also Stephen King personally, the town where he grew up, there was a horrific hate crime and a young gay man was beaten to death. And it obviously had a big impact on Stephen King and really upset him. So he wrote about it. And apparently in the book, it's just handled way, way better because like this guy's life has meaning. But in the film, it truly is just, just like a random throwaway act of violence to be like, this town is evil. And it's like, yeah, we got that. We we didn't need to see a gay man almost beaten to death. Like, we get it. Um, so I think the writers <laughs> maybe realized that that was bad. So in order to counterbalance it, they were like, one of these kids, when they grow up, has to realize they're gay. So then we can sort of have that as a thread. Like, you know... Uh, sure, hate crimes happen, but feel hopeful at the end because you found your pride. Like, it's it's clumsy, but I kind of see why they did it. Anyway, uh, Richie is the guy, the kid, eventually, adult, who they end up revealing is gay, and it's Bill Hader's character. And there's this extra little curveball they throw where they're like, not only is he gay, he was in love with Eddie the whole time, even though we literally never foreshadowed that at all. Um, they just sort of had a funny, quick banter back and forth. Um, but surprise, Richie was in love with him the whole time. So it's one of those eye-rolly, um, J.K. Rowling revisionist things where it was like, oh, surprise, guys, I was progressive the whole time. And it was like, are you? Um, so, yeah, it, it's insulting, and I didn't buy it. Even though Bill Hader's wonderful, and, you know, I thought he did a good job with the material he was given. It was very clumsy and bad. <laughs> um, I really want to know what stand-up comic they hired to punch up this script, because it is really bad, and strips the script, the original script, of all its charm, the first It movie, all of the banter feels really forced. There is not one, but two hair jokes in this script, like just making fun of people's hair randomly. One, okay. Two, that's lazy writing. Uh, and then finally I'll say, listen, there is way too much CGI in this movie. And I know they were surprised by the success of the first film and suddenly had like a $400 million budget that they didn't know what to do with. But the solution should never be, let's put too much CGI in a film. Because here's what happens. It makes it less scary. And a perfect example of that is the first trailer that came out for It too was the scene where Beverly is in the creepy old lady's house and it's revealed that the creepy old lady is like the ghost of Pennywise's, of Pennywise, or I'm sorry, she is the ghost daughter of Pennywise, the clown. And she goes into a little bit of Pennywise's backstory that like they were in the circus and blah, 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 blah. So that original trailer showed up until the moment where the old lady comes charging naked out of the kitchen. And in the original trailer, as far as I can recall, you don't actually see her. You just see Ches uh, Jessica Chastain reacting to seeing her, which is like abject horror. And it's really well done. Uh, it's it's terrifying. Um, also, like really darkly funny. Like I, I saw some audiences laugh at the part where like the old lady is 
walking weird or running naked in the kitchen. And I think that that is deliberate. I think that's supposed to be like funny, but also deeply disturbing. But in the movie, (laughs) she transforms, when she runs out, she transforms into this giant, like, troll-like figure with giant swinging tits. And it instantly kills the, the terror. It's suddenly funny. And I don't think it's deliberate. I don't think the film creators wanted to remove the horror aspect. I think they just went way too far with the CGI. And that happened in most of the scenes. Most of the scenes are maybe mm, several minutes too long and it's just CGI that seems to be tacked on. There is an a unending scene at the end of this movie where they're fighting Pennywise and he transforms into like a giant spider and I know that's all from the book but it looks really bad it's not scary it goes on way too long and it really pissed me off too because Bill Skarsgård is the guy who plays Pennywise is one of the most gifted physical actors working right now like he is just he's very talented but he's also a physical phenomenon like he can actually move his eyes in different directions. So you don't need to use a ton of CGI on him. You just need like a tight angle on his face and he's terrifying. And I think they do that effectively in other scenes. Like there's a scene where a little girl is chasing a a lightning bug and she goes under some little league baseball bleachers and meets Pennywise. And it's a really effective scene where it's just Bill Skarsgård and his face and him, you know, chewing the scenery and really like hamming up the acting. And he's wonderful. Like he's a really engaging actor to watch. And I don't like this movie because they they put too much CGI on him. Um, and it ended up really killing what's so magical about him. Um, the scenes that work the best are just Bill Skarsgård talking to another actor. Like the scene, I, I thought the scene with Richie and Pennywise in the park is really beautifully done. Um, when Pennywise gets lifted by the balloons, um, you know, Bill Skarsgård, his face through all of that is really, really great. I even don't hate the CGI in that scene when the the Paul Bunyan type statue, or I think it might be Paul Bunyan, comes to life and is chasing Richie. I don't hate that. I think that's actually like one of the better CGI moments of the film, but I hope if the rumors that there's going to be a prequel are true, I hope that they let Bill Skarsgård just do his thing, including just like the way he moves his body is very scary. And I think they, you know, cap uh, really captured that in the first film. And I hope they return to that. Guys, I talked way too long about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like horror. Uh, some quick other recommendations um season nine of the walking dead is on netflix it is wonderful and i cannot stress enough how much i hated the walking dead recently i stopped watching after they introduced negan i got really mad with all of the glenn stuff how that was depicted um i didn't want to watch that show anymore because it was joyless and made me really sad and i didn't want to feel sad (laughs) because the world's sad enough right and season nine is fascinating because it's about them trying to rebuild society and the values basically that they want (laughs) to reintroduce into society. And that sounds like it could be very boring and it probably should have been very boring and it's fucking fascinating. 
Because the writers figured out or remembered why we love these characters so much. And they fixed all of the characters, um, the trajectories they were on in like season seven and eight. And they were like, you know what? Let's go back to basics. This show doesn't need to be about Rick. Um, Daryl is a fascinating character. Let's bring him back. Carol is a fucking boss. Let's bring her back. Hey, Michonne. Michonne's one of the best characters ever written. Why don't we focus on her more? And they just started doing that and it it works. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. Even if you stopped watching it, <laughs> go back to it. Watch season nine. It's great. I started watching The Boys on Amazon. It's fucking dope. I'm a little mad at you people that you didn't tell me Carl Urban is in it because I don't know how many times I have to tell you guys this. If there is a handsome, bearded man with an accent in literally anything, you are to notify me immediately. I'm Allison Kilkenny on Twitter. It's not that difficult. Uh, guys, that's enough of the recommendations, am I right? If you have any recommendations, hashtag LightTreasonPod. Let's get to it. Here is your bad news. All right, I'm putting the Democratic debates in the bad news section because, like I said, they're a waste of everybody's time. Uh, none of the candidates really talk about the only issue we should, maybe not the only issue, but the issue we be we should be talking the most about, which is climate change. And I still maintain Biden's going to be the nominee, sadly. As much as I want it to be Elizabeth Warren, I just think the Democratic Party is going to Democratic Party and go with the the most uh the least inspiring most moderate candidate because that's who they are so but as i said in the opening of the show i didn't watch the debate but i went to abc news and they have one of those articles that's all like here are the five key takeaways from the abc news democratic debate so I was like, let's go to the source. ABC hosted it. Let's see what they're claiming the five key takeaways from the ABC News Democratic debate are. And then I'm saving one of the moments that I know happened during the debate for the good news section that will come at the end of this episode. So it's not that I'm totally uninformed. It's just that um, I didn't watch it. So... The first main takeaway, according to ABC, is that the center stage, uh, this is weirdly phrased, the center stage tangle over health care. Okay. The first face-off between Biden and Warren almost immediately devolved into a pile-on over health care across all wings of the debate stage, with Warren on his left and Senator Bernie Sanders to his right. Biden, the current top polling frontrunner, was pelted with attacks on all sides. Good. That's, that's how it should be. If we're going to have this fucking carnival act, uh, this is what should happen. While Warren and Sanders questioned whether Biden's plan, which would build upon Obamacare rather than completely overhaul it, went far enough, Biden staunchly defended the former president's landmark health care bill. Uh, I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. <laughs> Okay, I think Obamacare worked. This is about candor, honestly, big ideas. Man, Biden is really just hoping everybody thinks about Obama and votes for him. 
which is kind of rough because Obama's been um, unenthusiastic about supporting him. So, ouch. Um, so Biden said, my distinguished friend, the senator on my left, has not indicated how she pays for it. Oh, referring to the Medicare for All plan. Uh, and the senator has, in fact, come forward and said how uh, he's going to pay for it, but it gets him about halfway there, he said, about Sanders. Uh, Biden also argued Warren's plan would result in tax hike for the middle class. It depends on how you define middle class. I mean, maybe Biden's friends who claim they're quote unquote middle class, yes, their taxes would go up. Um, for sure, Biden's a piece of shit. <laughs> Medicare for all would not cost most Americans more. It would save most Americans thousands of dollars a year. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, your taxes might go up a little bit, but the offset of how much you would save would be overwhelmingly positive. Another takeaway, according to ABC News, former colleagues face off. While the former vice president invoked the accomplishments of President Obama in health care, he also fielded a sharp attack from one of his former administration colleagues. In a testy exchange, former Housing and Urban Development Secretary and Julian Julian Castro seemed to question Biden's mental fitness as he argued over the difference between automatic enrollment and opting uh, in for coverage. That's a big difference because Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. He wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would not, Castro said. I have to say, Castro has been great in the debates lately. Um, yeah, they went back and forth. Um... Kamala Harris pivoted from challenging Biden to taking on Trump. Blah, 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 blah. Guys, who cares? Truly, who cares? This is why it's in the bad news section. Um, candidates defend records on race. Oh, God. Blah, 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 blah. Wasted time. And Biden's still ahead in the polls. Oh, Pete Buttigieg, I guess, had a moment where he shared his personal story of coming out. And everyone was like held hands and felt good for a second because he's like the safe kind of gay. Um, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Who cares? Bad news story. Let's talk about Felicity Huffman. Okay. Everybody, listen. Uh, Felicity Huffman was sentenced to 14 days in jail in a college admissions case that um, raised a lot of questions about wealth and privilege and race and class in the United States and like who can buy their way into college and and who cannot and she sort of along with um Aunt Becky became this symbol of like white privilege in the United States and a lot of people were very mad that she only got 14 days in jail so here's how I feel about that I don't think we should be carceral liberals about the whole thing because, like, nothing's going to get better because Felicity Huffman goes to jail for 14 days. Like, it sort of feels good for us, like, non-rich people to be like, yeah, get the richie. But, like, she's going to go to a luxury, as far as, like, prisons can be luxury, like a white-collar prison where she'll have, like, yoga and there's a spa <laughs> and, like, she she will be fine for two weeks. She will be fine. She'll just have to sit in a space that's not her home, which I'm sure for like a rich, privileged person is tough. But like, it's not like she's going into a coal mine, you know. 
Also, nothing in our structural inequality will be addressed or be made to be better. Everything will still suck just as much as for poor people. Everything will suck just as much for them pre-Felicity Huffman going to jail as it will post-Felicity Huffman getting out of jail. So, like, I don't necessarily celebrate something like this. I get why people point out the hypocrisy of, like, somebody like Felicity Huffman going to prison for 14 days for engaging in super shady behavior when when people, poor people of color, go to prison for, like, decades for committing equal, and maybe even, like, not as bad of a crime <laughs> as this, like stealing bread to live or selling Lucy cigarettes, you know, like murdered by the police for just trying to survive. Um, and she only goes to jail for 14 days. Like I get why people want to talk about that inequality, but I don't celebrate Felicity Huffman going to jail. And that's not me being like, so I'm above everybody else. It's just like, I think stories like this are dangerous because we we sort of fap over a celebrity falling from grace and watching them have to go through the ordeal of the trial and like laughing about it because it is funny. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it's very funny that like Aunt Becky uh, felt she had to pay for her dumb daughter to get in college because she couldn't do it on her own. Um, like, I get why it's funny and people obsess over it, but nothing ever gets better by sending someone to jail. It's just sort of like this mob mentality where we feel better for a second, but there's no reformative justice. Society is still structurally unequal. Poor people suffer every day. So like it's, it's difficult to celebrate, you know, and I don't think we should celebrate it. So also in bad news, um, Oh, yeah. Should I talk about Caroline Calloway? Okay. Here's the aspect of the Caroline Calloway story I wanted to talk about. So if you don't know this story, I am very biased towards scammer stories. I think they're fascinating. We talk about them a lot on this show. There's been this trend lately of, like, this fascination with, like, white uh, wealthy white women who are socialites who are like scamming people seems to have been a theme, not just recently, but like always. Um, so the reason this story came back up was you probably remember hearing Caroline Calloway's name because she's a big Instagram influencer and she got in trouble <laughs> because she was uh, launching this like. I don't know if it was like a meet and greet or what it was, but she advertised like this event where you had to pay like $160 to meet her. And part of the meet was like, she was going to have like these mason jar um, gifts for everybody and like flower crowns and like every dumb Instagram accessory you can think of in like a gift package type deal. And then the whole thing fell through. Like, she never reserved a venue. She completely fucked every step of the the meet and greet. So people got really, really mad at her. But then that all kind of died down. And then this, like, tell-all article was written about her, profile was written about her, uh, by Natalie Beach. Uh, And I think it was in New York Magazine. Um... And Natalie Beach came forward and said, hey, um, not only did I ghostwrite uh, 
Caroline's uh, book, which again was like um, hundreds of thousands of dollars, this book deal, um, which was huge for someone her age because she was very young. She was like in her 20s. Not only did I ghostwrite that, I ghostwrote her Instagram post, which is like what she was known for. Uh, Caroline Calloway, she didn't develop this style, but she was known for writing very, very long <laughs> Instagram captions, almost like like a novel uh, in these captions, which I, I never understood. I think people were just following her because there was sort of like a fascination about her lifestyle because she's a trust fund kid and she would go on these like exotic trips and Instagram the whole thing and like have these really cheesy Instagram captions where she was like, you know, like find your essence. Like I was in a bad mood today, but now I'm not. And everybody's like, this is so good. Um, and, but it, so that was like hugely scandalous that not only did she not write her book, she didn't write her Instagram posts. But the reason everybody was talking, really talking about this profile of Carolyn Calloway is Natalie Beach goes into this like the details of their toxic codependent friendship and how Natalie ultimately sort of became Caroline's servant, like up to and including thinking she was staying in one of Caroline's like extra apartments as a guest. And it turned out Caroline was like, oh, no, you're going to be my cleaner, like my maid. And that's an Airbnb. So you have to like clean up for people who are going to stay there. And Natalie was so deep in this toxic relationship that she was like, okay. And I saw people, you know, rightfully making fun of everything. Because Carolyn Calloway is ridiculous. People like her, the fact that they exist is absurd. The fact that they're able to exist in a society that rewards them for being shallow and, uh, you know, self-obsessed. And it's, it's really unhealthy one of the signs of a failing <laughs> society, all of that stuff. So I get why people, she's like a perfect figure for people to hate, right? But I saw some other people ragging on Natalie Beach, and some of it's valid because, like, some of the details of Natalie's own account have been called into question, which is just, like, crazy-making, right? Because we don't have a reliable narrator in it any of this uh it's like watching fight club <laughs> it's like wait who should i believe uh so th let's just say they're both trash right i don't know either of them so i have nothing to lose by saying that they're both trash blah, blah, blah. um but some people were being very mean where they were like i'm sorry if my friend treated me like that i would walk natalie's weak why would you let someone shit on you and that made me sad because I don't think those people understand that for some people who are trapped in a codependent toxic relationship like that, there are these like culty aspects to it. And anyway, I think there like are a lot of valid reasons to not like Natalie Beach, but being mean to the victim <laughs> is like, I don't think healthy for anyone. Like I read that profile and I felt really sorry for her because I saw this like girl who really admired Caroline Calloway and really believed in their friendship and thought they loved each other and that they would be there for each other. And then it turned out, you know, Caroline Calloway is, um, I know people don't like to throw around the term sociopath, but like maybe like a borderline personality disorder going on, bipolar, something like that. And um, I know Caroline's like on medication for being bipolar. So yeah, I mean, no great 
like no none of these people are like marvel villains you know like i do think there's a lot of privilege at work here but ultimately i think this is a story about a girl who is mentally ill was self-medicating really fucked up and you know overcommitted thought she could write a book could not write a book then we have natalie beach who really thought she was in a friendship turned out she was not in a, a healthy friendship could not get out uh lost a lot of money which is very sad but it is a fascinating read i will say that like if you're into this kind of scammer stuff check it out so i also i guess we should talk about saturday night live right okay so i am very torn about all of this because i'm so happy for bowen yang who is just wildly talented and one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. And I will definitely watch the new season of Saturday Night Live because I really want to support Bowen. And I really want to support the fact that he is the first full-time Asian cast member on Saturday Night Live. I think that's so great. And Chloe's very talented too. Um, if you don't follow her on Instagram, check her out. Her impressions are sick. She's, she's so talented. And I've also heard she's a very nice person. So I'm really, really happy for the both of them. Ooh boy, Shane Gillis. <laughs> First of all, does anyone at SNL know how to do a basic Twitter search? Because holy shit, it would have saved them a lot of grief. <laughs> um, if you just do a basic search of Shane Gillis, um, Everybody knows this guy's racist. A lot of people refuse to book him at venues anymore. A lot of comics refuse to perform with him because uh, he's a he's a racist dude, and he's also a, a relic. You know, he thinks that edgy comedy, according to him, he thinks imitating the voice of an Asian person is pushing boundaries, and it's not. It's lazy hack humor. It's it's been visited thousands of times by every ten year old um douchebag in the country right like they think that's humor and it's not humor it's just you being racist so i don't know what's happening at saturday night live um i know michael che and colin jost have a very different sensibility comedic sensibility than some of um the more uh ucb trained people at saturday night live from what i have gleaned from like behind the scenes stuff there are I don't want to say tribes, <laughs> but there are some people at Saturday Night Live who believe in the Bowen Yang vision of the show. And then there are some people at Saturday Night Live, including Michael Che and Colin Jost, who believe in the Shane Gillis vision of Saturday Night Live. And I don't know if it's a deliberate political calculation that they're trying to play both sides of the political spectrum, quote unquote. I think that's a very bad idea if it's a deliberate strategy. And honestly, I don't know if that much thought went into it. It literally might have been that Michael Che and Colin Jost are friends with Shane Gillis. They think he's funny. And they were like, yeah, let's hire him. We we want another stand-up on here. Um, even though stand-ups don't do well in SNL, <laughs> for some reason they keep hiring them. Um, and again, like Pete Davidson's on the show, but I, I truly... Other than the character where he plays like the dumb, um, the dumb dude who's like, uh, what would you even call him? Like uh, the young boy toy of whatever older person is hosting SNL at the time. And he literally just says, all right, <laughs> over and over and over. Unless you consider that smash hit character a success. Has not done a lot on the show other than dated Ariana Grande, and that blew up. Uh, Leslie Jones is leaving. Leslie was always great on Weekend Update. Didn't do great in sketches. 
It's a sketch show. I don't know why you keep hiring stand-ups. But anyway, it's extra frustrating for me because uh, I know a lot of people who got into the video testing round for SNL and all of them are incredibly gifted and great improvisers and, and great character people and not fucking racist douchebags. And they didn't get hired and Shane Gillis did. So he took one of their spots. And that makes me pretty mad. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping his time at the, in the show, on the show, will be short-lived. Because what would really suck is if this diminishes the impact or the attention Bowen should get. Because... He's a really exciting performer, and I hope his casting is the start of a trend because um, it's wild that he's the first full-time Asian cast member ever on SNL. It's 2019. That's bizarre. That should not be. Um, but again, so exciting, and I'm just so excited to see what Bone does. So I really wanted to focus on, and maybe it's good that I'm putting this last because um, I'm hoping people will... Support Bowen, um, share all of his sketches, because I'm, I'm sure they're all going to be so fucking good. And maybe if we do that, it will signal to SNL that that's a direction they should move in. More Bowen, less Shane. Okay, guys, on that note, here's your good news. <laughs> I was going to put this story in the bad news section, but I actually think it's a good news story because it has to do with the further decline of the Sackler family. And that's good, right? Fuck them. Are they one of the most evil families to ever live? I think so. In terms of damage they've done to millions of people's lives, they are maybe the most prolific serial killers ever. Um, that's not true. They can't really compete with like governments, but they're up there with the opioid crisis. So anyway, in case you haven't heard, authorities have identified about a billion dollars in wire transfers between the owners of pharmaceutical giant Purdue Pharma, uh, the entities they control, and different financial institutions, according to New York Attorney General Letitia James. Can we give it up for Letitia James? Because <laughs> she is crushing the game. Um, so the, the discovery of the wire transfers comes as amid growing allegations by New York and other states that the Sackler family is moving billions of dollars offshore to protect their wealth. So here's what should happen immediately. Those funds should be seized and redistributed to families suffering because of the opioid crisis. Number one, right? I think we should vote on that today. <laughs> and people would agree with it. Overwhelming majority would agree with it. It also follows news two days ago of a proposed settlement by Purdue Pharma to thousands of states, counties, cities, and tribal governments in their ongoing lawsuit uh, accusing the company of fueling the nation's opioid epidemic. So the Sackler family is just in full-on panic mode right now, and they're trying to hide as much money as they possibly can. Um, track down that money! The New York Attorney General's office is trying to determine how much money the Sacklers have amassed and where it is. D God, rich people are fucking criminals. <laughs> 
Details about the wire transfers, including some that authorities say were funneled through Swiss bank accounts, were released as part of a new court filing by Attorney General James in the ongoing lawsuit. While the Sacklers continue to lowball victims and skirt a responsible settlement, we refuse to allow the family to misuse the courts in an effort to shield the financial misconduct, James said in a written statement. The limited number of documents provided to us so far underscore the necessity for compliance with every subpoena. Uh, yeah, they're trying to hide their fucking money. So when the victims come and they go, we're suing you for X million dollars, they're like, oh, no, we only have two nickels. Oh, so sad. Where'd all our money go? And then the judge is like, we know you have money. And they're like, oh, no, we don't. Hold on, check my pocket. I just have this ball of lint. I'm so sad. Um, yeah, find that money. Redistribute the wealth. Okay, also in good news. So I told you there was a moment from the Democratic debate that I'm counting as good news that I wanted to talk about. <sighs> Beto. And you know I don't want to give it up to Beto for Beto because... Talking about white privilege, he said he was owed the presidency and it pissed off a lot of people and he was just white manning all over the place. And I think he realized that he fucked up. He was not doing well in the debates. He like revealed himself to be very inexperienced. And I think he's like, you know what? Let's just go back to basics. <laughs> and he's been great lately. So while speaking about gun violence, an issue he's made the centerpiece of his campaign since the mass shooting in El Paso um, during the debate, Beto made it abundantly clear that if he is elected president, he's coming for America's assault rifles. This is a quote, okay? And I can't undersell enough how extraordinary it is that someone running for the president of the United States, even if in the Democratic Party, okay? Even in the Democratic Party, this is an extraordinary thing to say. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. <laughs> We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Yes, Beto. Yes. And it's sad that that's in, like, considered a super radical thing to say in the United States, but I think it's really meaningful and it's really important that he said it in a debate, a mainstream debate, and it got a lot of support from people. Because how many fucking more mass shootings need to happen before somebody has enough courage to say something like that? Yes, we're going to take your assault rifles, you lunatics. Yeah, why do you need them? You don't need them. We're taking them from you. <laughs> like, I mean, he pretty much sealed the fact that he won't be president. Not that he thought he was going to be president anyway, which is why he went so far as to say something like that because you might as well get headlines, right? Even if you're not going to um, get the presidency and he'll get a shitload of donations for having said that. Um, but I'm glad someone fucking said it. Fuck yeah, Beto. I hope, I really hope people start to drop out at this stage, but I want Beto to stay in a little longer to say shit like this. <laughs> if only so people have to respond to it. Um, also in good news, we got to talk about Chrissy Teigen. Oh, what a joy. And listen, I know, I know uh, sometimes I roll my eyes, right, about how much Twitter loves Chrissy Teigen because it's like, we get it. Oh, my God. How charming can one person be? Oh, so much charm. Chrissy Teigen. But this was legitimately funny. So Trump randomly goes after uh, John Legend. Um, and he said, how did this even start? Okay. 
So he lashed out at John Legend <clears throat> on Twitter Sunday night, right after Legend appeared on MSNBC as part of a special town hall on criminal justice reform hosted by Lester Holt. Can you imagine Trump watching an NBC, MSNBC town hall? Um, I can't. I can only imagine like one of his aides was watching it and like recapped it for him. Um, so he tweeted, when all of the people pushing so hard for criminal justice reform were unable to come even close to getting it done, they came to me as a group and asked for my help. I got it done with a group of senators and others who would never have gone for it. Obama couldn't come close. A man named At Van Jones, 68, and many others were profusely grateful at the time. I signed it into law. No one else did, and Republicans deserve much credit. Um, <clears throat> so then he continued, as he does, but now that is past. People that had virtually nothing to do with it are taking the praise. Guys like boring musician John Legend and his filthy-mouthed wife are talking now about how great it is, but I didn't see them around when we needed help getting it passed. So, like, Trump can't help himself. First of all, how dare he accurately call John Legend a boring musician? Oops. Um, but then also, the fact that he had to rope Chrissy Teigen into it when Chrissy Teigen had nothing to fucking do with it. She wasn't on the town hall debate. As far as I know, she had nothing to do with any of that political work. So, like, even Trump, he's already being, like, racist and lying, right? But he can't help himself. He has to also be like, well, I'm a misogynist, too, and call Chrissy Teigen, who is very famous, uh, not by her name, but just call her John Legend's filthy-mouthed wife. So, Crazy Teigen, of course, catches wind of this um, and handles it in what I think is a, a beautiful way, which is she says, she tweets, LOL, what a pussy-ass bitch, tagged everyone but me, and honor Mr. President. <laughs> and it blew up. First of all, I mean, Chrissy Teigen understands who Trump is as a man, which is you're not going to hurt him by doling out facts or articulating your point with a lot of finesse. She just goes for it and she's like, you pussy ass bitch, <laughs> which is his language. Um, I'm sure it infuriated him and he really wanted to retaliate and someone had to throw his phone out a window um i loved it i thought it was funny chrissy teigen's hilarious so also in good news i just am loving how scared the republicans are of elizabeth warren again no one wishes more than me that she would be the official democratic nominee for the presidency i still don't think it's going to happen because good things don't happen Okay, sorry, <laughs> we're in the good news section. I shouldn't be negative. But I am watching, I am enjoying watching everybody freaking out about Elizabeth Warren. So I don't know if you saw this clip the other day of Fox business host Stuart Varney, who not too long ago described himself as a refugee of English so socialism <laughs> and seems to think workers play no part in a business's profitability. Um, so he's not too happy about the idea of sharing profits with workers. Shocker. So this recap is from Splinter News by Paul Blessed. Um, 
so he appeared on Fox and Friends to discuss a New York Post op-ed about Wall Street's fears of an Elizabeth Warren presidency. So he is just hysterical the whole time. And he says, this is a disaster. This is the socialist takeover of American business. Uh, if this act, and he's talking about the Accountability, Accountable Capitalism Act, if this act were to go through, all companies, big companies, would have to get a license to do business. Um, which, by the way, you also you already need a license to do business. <laughs> uh, so this is this was the second day in a row that Varney had flipped out about Warren. Um, he uh, called the Accountable Capitalism Act a threat, a real threat to everyone's money. And he proceeded to run down a list of entities that would share in the profits made by giant corporations that aren't shareholders and CEOs. Okay, so this is his nightmare list of people who might share the profits of a corporation. This is his nightmare dystopian of America. Okay. <clears throat> Senator Warren would force all big companies to take a lot of their profit away from shareholders, and it would be given to. The workforce, the community, customers, the local and global environment, and community and societal factors, whatever that is. End quote. Oh, no. Not the workers. Not the community. Not the customers. Not the local and global environment. Like, how do you hear yourself making that list, saying that list out loud and not immediately realize, oh, I'm a villain. I'm a villain. I don't think workers should get money. I'm a villain. I don't think the community should get money. I don't think the customers should, should get any of the money. I don't think the global environment should get any of the money. How do you hear yourself say that and not immediately realize, oh, I'm the baddie. Oh, God. It's me. Can you guys hear the music pounding in the background right now? I hope not. I mean, if not, or if you can, it's the end of the show. So it'll be fine. Um, yeah, guys. Uh, do I want to end on this story? No, let's keep making fun of this guy. Um, I just think it's so funny that Elizabeth Warren is forcing conservatives to fully articulate their ideologies and and to take them to their natural conclusions, which is we think workers should be crushed under the wheels of capitalism. We think the environment should be poisoned and inhabitable to future generations for capitalism. We don't think businesses own anything to the communities that give them tax breaks and help subsidize them to exist in the first place which, by the way, is why giant corporations pay $0 in, tax, in federal taxes and, in fact, sometimes get money back from the government. Fully, fully socialized um, capitalism. We don't think they owe us anything. We think that you owe them everything. And they're forced to articulate that on national television, and I, I do think that's the value of having somebody like Elizabeth Warren, somebody like Bernie Sanders in the presidential debates. Listen, I would love nothing more than to have a Warren-Sanders ticket. I don't think it's going to happen. But who knows? Like, we live, we're living in an unprecedented times, right? Like, nobody, for the most part, 
saw Trump becoming president. So maybe the pendulum's swinging the other way. Maybe we're we're past due for a Sanders Warren ticket or a Warren Sanders ticket, however you envision it. I'm just naturally assuming that everybody who's listening to this also supports a Warren <laughs> Sanders ticket. That might not be the case. Um, but you're still welcome to listen to the show. Um, yeah, I who any I feel I think the only people making political predictions at this point are dum dums. So I don't want to be a dum dum. So I'm gonna say who the hell knows? I just know what the polls are telling me right now, which is Biden is still leading just because of brand recognition. Um, you know, most people don't follow politics. We're, we're the weirdos in America. The fact that I talked about politics for an hour, for the most part, a lot of pop, pop culture in there, but still a lot of politics. The fact that we can name the names of the ma- main candidates, we're the anomaly. So really this is down to, do you want generic uh, Coke or do you want Coca-Cola? You know, like brand recognition. Doesn't mean Coca-Cola is better than the generic Coke, but... Um, most people like names they recognize. And there is still, I think, an association with Obama for Biden, which Biden benefits from tremendously, Um, even though Obama (laughs) has, like, distanced himself. Um, But, yeah, I I don't know. Guys, if you had any thoughts about today's episode, hashtag LightTreasonPod, feel free to give recommendations to sound off on any of the stories you heard today or any stories that you think we should be covering on the show, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Kilkenny. For as little as $5 a month, you get to send questions, recommendations that we'll read on Light Trees and News. $10 a month, you get to participate in the fun hangouts. Again, the next one is tomorrow, Sunday at 10 a.m. I hope to see many of you there. And yeah, uh, anything else I need to plug? I don't think so. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, as I said, Twitter. Tell your friends about the show. You didn't hear any ads on this episode, nor any of our episodes, because we're 100% listener supported. And the only way we can get more listeners is through you. So please do tell your friends, family about the show. Um, keep listening, subscribe, all that stuff. Leave a nice review on on iTunes. That helps a lot too. Uh, And thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. 